The incident of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish is among the best known of all gospel stories. Maybe that's because it appears in slightly amended form in all four gospels. So we know the story well enough, and we know too that it's often used as the basis for a debate about miracles and what actually happened in this solitary place so that a large crowd was more than fed with so little. But I'm not sure that any of the four gospel writers really want to tell us how this large crowd was fed, much as we'd like to know. No more than the writer of Genesis chapter 1 intended setting out in detail how the universe came into being, although we'd love to know that too. Each of the four evangelists wrote from his own theological perspective with his own theological agenda. So, for that reason, we need to ask questions such as, what is it about this story that Matthew wants us, as disciples of Jesus, to understand for ourselves and for our own discipleship? And I think Matthew may, among other things, be wanting us to understand better what it means to be called as disciples, to serve God and to serve the life of God's kingdom. So, perhaps not surprisingly, I want to draw out of this passage three points along those lines. And for ease of reflection and to help memory, each of those points will begin with the letter C. And the first of these is compassion. Matthew tells us that when Jesus came ashore from the boat and saw the great crowd waiting him, he had compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, this isn't the only time that Matthew refers in his gospel to the compassion of Jesus. And in the circumstances, it's amazing that Jesus felt any compassion for this crowd at all. The context of the passage reveals that Jesus had just heard of the brutal execution of his cousin, John the Baptist, at the hands of King Herod, a killing carried out to keep a rash promise that he had made. Jesus needed time and space to process this shocking news completely away from everyone, hence his withdrawal to this solitary place. Can you imagine how he must have felt in his grief and shock when the crowds pursued him, a bit like the paparazzi after celebrities? I don't think I would have felt a great deal of compassion for the crowds robbing me of the time I needed to grieve. But Jesus was somehow able to channel his grief and his potential frustration into compassion for others. Matthew supplies this detail about Jesus' compassion because I think he sees it as an important motivating force in the ministry of Jesus. Earlier in the gospel, in chapter 9, Jesus had responded to the sight of the crowds by having compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This further display of compassion here in chapter 14 is the driving force behind not only Jesus healing the sick, 
but also his feeding the crowds. The disciples, on the other hand, want Jesus to send the crowds away. So, as they say, they'll go off into the surrounding villages and buy food for themselves. Perhaps not a very practical solution at such a late hour in the day. But Jesus tells them they don't need to go away. And then he must have shocked the disciples with the thunderbolt that he then sends in their direction. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Could part of the reason why Jesus throws down this gauntlet to the disciples be because he wants to test whether and to what extent they too are motivated by compassion? How moved by compassion are the disciples to see a crowd of people, very hungry people, fed? I think Matthew's flagging this up as an important issue for all of us who consider ourselves to be disciples of Jesus. To what extent are you and I truly motivated by compassion for others in our Christian service and ministry? And the same can be applied too to our agenda in the church. In the immediate aftermath of the Grenfell Tower fire, we witnessed a huge spontaneous outpouring of compassion for the survivors of that tragedy as people brought in vast amounts of clothing, goods, food, household items, as well as money to be distributed to those in need. Their compassion produced more than enough for those who had been left with nothing. Perhaps such compassion was needed to feed a crowd of 5,000 and then to have 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And perhaps that's what's needed too, Matthew is saying, for our ministry and our mission to flourish abundantly for God's kingdom. So then, if as disciples we seek to serve God and God's kingdom, then compassion seems to be the first quality that Matthew is telling us that we need for that task. What is the second? Well, the second is challenge. You give them something to eat may well have been Jesus' way of testing the disciples' compassion. But if it is, then Jesus is clearly presenting the disciples with a very serious challenge here. And behind that challenge, there's an important issue about how God operates to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We can well imagine how these disciples might have reacted to Jesus' challenge. I was starting to think about this service around a month ago, just when Wimbledon was starting. And as I was thinking about what the reaction to Jesus might have been by the disciples, these words came into my mind. You cannot be serious. Sorry if that's not a very good American accent. But I wonder which of the 12 was the John McEnroe character among the disciples. They may not have been quite as forthright as the tennis star, but their point was probably very much the same. We have nothing here, they said. 
but five loaves and two fish. And what good is that? Jesus, you cannot be serious that we have to feed a crowd of 5,000 plus. Yeah, in the very good accent, is it, man? The challenge Jesus is putting to them is probably around seeing whether they will trust Jesus as well as they will behave compassionately like Jesus. On a merely human level, of course, five loaves and two fish make absolutely no sense at all in feeding a crowd of 5,000 plus. But are they meant simply to respond to this challenge of Jesus at a human level? Or does Jesus expect them to respond to him on a divine level? And what about us? And what about our response? When God makes a call on our lives, as he did with the disciples of Jesus, and as he does with us too, that call can often seem, and sometimes we wonder why, but that call can often seem way beyond us. We often feel like saying to God, God, you cannot be serious calling me to do this. We often feel so inadequate for the task that God is setting before us. We feel that we just don't have the resources, that we're not equipped to do it, that we don't have the ability or the capacity to do it, that we're going to fall flat on our faces and fail. What might be for you your you give them something to eat moment, the time when God challenged you to do something that you felt was way out of your comfort zone. And when God did challenge you in that way by saying, you give them something to eat, you do something about this, what was your response to say, you cannot be serious. No way, Lord, I'm not going to do this. I'm just not up to it. I haven't got the ability to do it. I haven't got the time to do it. I haven't got the resources to do it. I, I, I'm just not the right person for you. But Jesus was being serious that day in that solitary place. He really wanted, and I would suggest needed, his disciples to come up with whatever they could give him, even if it was only five loaves and two fish. He needed them to bring that to him in a spirit of trust so that he could take what they brought and translate it from a human level to a divine level, to transform it from the life of earth into the life of heaven. And I think when God makes calls and demands upon our lives, too, that seem way beyond us, I think God is being serious, too. It isn't the case that we haven't heard it properly or that somehow God's got it wrong, that it's a case of mistaken identity, that he should have chosen somebody else and not me. I think God, too, is testing us and saying to you and me, of course, on the human level, you can't do this. Of course, by yourself, you do not have the resources to do this. You don't have the right necessary skills or abilities or gifts. But, but, through the Holy Spirit, equipping you, empowering you, enabling you, then there's no limit 
to what you can do. And you know, the longer that I am in Christian ministry, the more I come to the conclusion that what God wants us to give to him is not for us to be selective and choose the best bits or the convenient bits and to offer those to God, but that God wants us to give him everything of what we are and that God is quite happy to receive the bad bits as well as the good bits. God will take our weaknesses as well as our strengths. God will take us, warts and all. God will take our whole experience of life, our successes and our failures. And God says, just trust me with it. Trust me with it. Place it in my hands and see what I can do with it. See what I can do through you by the Holy Spirit at work within you. Because that's the way God chooses to operate. He doesn't establish his kingdom apart from us, though he could, but an incarnate God revealed in Jesus chooses to work with us to enable God's kingdom to come. So then the first pointer is compassion that I think Matthew is drawing to our attention. To serve God and to serve God's kingdom, we need compassion. But also, secondly, we need challenge, and we need to rise to the challenge that so often God calls us to, a challenge that so often we dismiss because it's way beyond us. So what's the third pointer? The third pointer, after compassion and challenge, is commitment. Jesus invited the disciples to take that final step. They'd got five loaves and two fish from somewhere or other. And Jesus said, okay, bring it. Give it to me. Pathetically meager an offering as it was, Jesus nevertheless took what they brought. He blessed the loaves and the fish. He broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute. Now, I think it's absolutely no coincidence that Matthew here describes what Jesus does in the precise terms used in the Eucharist or Holy Communion. Matthew deliberately employs the traditional language of the fourfold process of celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper, taking, blessing, breaking, and giving. Now, why does Matthew do this? Well, I think it's his way of showing that in the hands of Jesus, The feeding of this crowd is now being taken with human gifts from being simply a human offering and is being transformed into something that is now a divine gift to those who are there. It's something that is transformed merely as being from the life of earth into the life of heaven. In the hands of Jesus, an amazing transformation takes place as what was a meal sufficient only for a few is now turned into a large banquet for a multitude. We're now, of course, entering a realm of divine mystery. Much as we do when we take bread and drink wine in Holy Communion, We cannot explain or fathom how a small piece of bread and a sip of wine, symbolic of Jesus' death, can enable a believer to realize the presence of God, 
gain an assurance of sins forgiven, receive peace and healing from God, and be renewed in body, mind, and spirit to continue in love and service of God through Christian ministry and service. And yet, it happens time and time and time and time again, every week, every Sunday, in countless places right across the world. So if that can happen with a tiny little bit of bread and a sip of wine, why should we be so amazed that Jesus can feed a crowd with five loaves and two fish? But there's one further point I think needs to be made relating to our commitment to place into Jesus' hands what he challenges us by his call upon our lives. And that's to do with how we make that commitment to Jesus. In the Gospels, have you noticed how Jesus always commends those who give sacrificially? Think of the widow with her might that she places seemingly unnoticed into the temple treasury, while others give ostentatiously of their largesse. Jesus commends her because she gave all that she had, small and tiny though her offering was. Or think of Mary of Bethany, who spent the equivalent of a year's wages on a costly jar of ointment to anoint Jesus' body for burial ahead of his crucifixion and death. Jesus defended her against the criticism that this was totally wasteful and the money could have been better spent on the poor. And in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, it's a small boy who offers the five loaves and the two fish, all his own food. He gives it freely to the disciples to help feed the crowd. Like the widow with her might, the boy gave all he had. And I believe that if what we place in the hands of Jesus is given in that spirit, then Jesus doesn't just commend us, but I believe that Jesus, in some mysterious way, is able to do far more with that kind of wholehearted sacrificial offering that we give him than he can when we just toss him the leftovers of our money, our lives, our time, and our commitment to serve the kingdom of God. Jesus' own sacrifice of his life on the cross brought about the greatest transformation of all through resurrection. Similarly, I believe, the sacrifices that we are prepared to make, the sacrifices that we put into the hands of Jesus, have the capacity to transform the lives of others for the kingdom of God. So through the telling of this story, Matthew is encouraging us, I believe, in the ways as disciples we serve God and God's kingdom. He's asking us, do we have the compassion of Jesus as the motivating or driving force for our Christian witness, ministry, and mission? He's asking us, are we prepared to respond to the challenge Jesus makes on our lives, to trust him, and to take our service of God from the human to the divine level, from the life of earth to the life of heaven? And he's asking us, Will we make our wholehearted commitment to Jesus by bringing the sacrificial offering of our lives to him? As we reflect on those questions, let's go back to that passage from the prophecy of Isaiah 55, the one that begins in one particular version with the attention-seeking word, ho, ho, 
as Kina reminded us. In that Old Testament passage, God is depicted in a wonderful way as a kind of market trader, selling his wares, or actually giving them away for free. He invites the passers-by to come and drink from the waters he offers, to buy at no cost wine and milk from him. It's a picture of a God who provides for his people, just as God gave them manna in their wilderness wanderings centuries before. Those earlier feedings of the people with manna in the desert would certainly have been in Matthew's mind when he was describing the feeding brought about by Jesus in that solitary place. The message would seem to be that God goes on providing for his people out of his abundant grace, offering them in Jesus the blessings of the life of his kingdom. But God doesn't do this by himself. God looks to you and to me and to his church to bring those blessings and to bring his provision upon his people. So may you and I be motivated by the compassion of Jesus. May we respond positively to the challenge of Jesus on our lives, even when it seems beyond us. And may we make our sacrificial commitment to Jesus of all that God calls us to be and to do and to give for the life of his kingdom. And as we do, may we see a real miracle taking place in our midst. Let us pray.